everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. have ever thought that we would see gushers in the metaverse and dunkaroo nfts yeah go look it up that day is here and when it comes to -to direct-to-consumer experiences general mills is not playing it safe on this episode carter jensen the senior manager of global e-commerce at general mills discusses how his small but mighty team is creating d2c experiences that go beyond simple transactions on the website and are websites even a thing that brands will need in the future tune in to find out What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Carter, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you. Hey, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really, really intrigued with your background. I want to start there because, I mean, I'm looking at it, I'm like, what haven't you done? You've been a podcast host. You've worked in consultancies, agencies, startups. You've won these awards, Webby Awards, Effie Awards. Like, tell me a little bit about your background and maybe your favorite pieces before we get into General Mills. Yeah, totally. Well, I appreciate it. And I've been super lucky to have a kind of a crazy background. And, and you mentioned just the hodgepodge of things that kind of make up my professional life. But um, but yeah, I started kind of in the startup agency world uh, at the beginning of my career. And and for those of you who've been in agencies, know that that can take you many different directions with many different clients and many different positions that you, you might sit in. So did agency world on and off for the last 10 years and, and jump between agency life, a couple startups we ran, and then also in consulting. So it really set me up for, I think, a really interesting position here at General Mills, which I know we're going to talk about a bit today. But I'm just super thankful and grateful for kind of having that diversity of background that uh, I've been lucky enough to have. So why did you get into 
podcast hosting. I mean, of course, I'm selfishly interested. Like, Carter, why aren't you hosting anymore? What happened? <laughs> totally, totally. No, uh, for sure. So I was lucky enough to join the OmniTalk podcast, what, three, four years ago, probably. I had some people who I, I looked up to a lot, kind of in the new retail space here in Minneapolis. And I blindly uh, emailed them one day and said, hey, I love your work. Have you ever thought about um, doing a podcast? And they said, yeah, we'd love to. We just don't know how. And I kind of lied through my teeth. I was like, oh, it's easy. I can do it. I've done it before. And so I'm quickly Googling, how do you make a podcast? Where do you buy microphones, et cetera? Because the next week, I actually went over uh, and, and was going to record record them. And just as we were starting to push record, like, well, why don't you join us as well? Well, I'd be honored. That sounds great. And um, it kicked off a, an incredible couple of years working with the Omnitap podcast and honestly kicked off a, a great friendship um, as well. So still follow Chris and Ann and all their work really closely on OmniTalk. And I'm sad I'm no longer with them, but love to follow from afar. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah. Podcasting, I view it as such a great way to learn and bring the smartest people on. And totally. I'm sure it kind of influenced maybe things that you're doing today at General Mills. But well, yeah. And you never learn more than when you get asked a question that you don't know the answer to and have to quickly come up with a, you know, a strategic thought, which I found myself in the corner of a lot where everyone on the podcast was a lot smarter than I was. But it, yeah, you definitely level up when you're around those people. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So tell me a bit about your role at General Mills. What are your main initiatives and what are you most excited about? Yeah, for sure. So um, we're a lean, mean team of four, and uh, we specifically focus on innovation within the global e-com spectrum, right? So a lot of words there, but in summary, really, we look at what are the new and the next opportunities for e-com and grocery. And and for me, again, I, I will say I'm, I'm incredibly lucky because there's no category that I think is changing faster, right? And so to think that we can have a part in defining what might be new and what might be next for our brands is an incredibly you know, amazing place to be. And so my team is based here in Minneapolis. We have a small team here, and then we also have a team out in London. So we do have an international footprint. And one of the big things that we take on is direct-to-consumer. So we manage and, and kind of oversee direct-to-consumer expansion here at, at General Mills. And we're expected in the next year to really kind of oversee almost 30 individual D2C storefronts that are each individually managed by the teams, but overseen and supported from behind by our group. Wow. Okay. So I want to hear what is the vision from the top when it comes to direct to consumer, because we've had quite a few you know, big brands on the show, and it seems like everyone's a bit different depending on how they're handling that and how they're viewing the future of direct to consumer. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's a great question and a question that we've worked through in multiple different iterations, even in the short tenure I've had at General Mills. You know, when I joined, D2C wasn't a full-fledged capability of the organization. Um, when I first started looking around within the D2C space, we saw these incredible pockets of energy around the organization, really kind of doing some interesting things in D2C. And I knew and our team knew that it was a really important part of our future strategy. To what degree and at what size? Not sure, right? But we saw that teams were, were not only, you know, actually engaged in it, but were unfortunately running into barriers. The idea that, you know, they had some really good ideas and were really kind of moving in the right direction. But you know, from a logistics standpoint, from a technology standpoint, they're running into these barriers that were slowing them down. And worse off, we're actually kind of stifling any sort of actual growth within the D2C space. And so I put together kind of a, a presentation and a pitch to say, I think we need to unify these efforts. I think we need to really look at the tools and capabilities we need to build here to empower these teams to do what we think is right and, and really kind of create some of those new kind of value add experiences for our consumers. And so we, what we did is we took a step back and built that infrastructure for them. Um, and I think to this day, it, it's still proving to be really successful. Now, back to your question of, of what does it mean and, and what is the leadership view of it? What we're really excited about is the fact that D2C means 
different things for every brand, right? It means different things for each one of our different parts of the organization. For some of our you know, smaller brands, it could mean something different than maybe some of our larger brands who are looking to more sales-focused type of opportunities. But the net net is we have a capability now that can support whatever strategy comes down the line, and we're excited for the challenges to come. Love it. So are you coming in you know, from the top and viewing these brands and saying, okay, these are the ones that should go D2C. These are the ones that aren't. And if so, how are you thinking about that? Is it margins? Like, How do you decide which brands should be direct-to-consumer? Yeah, totally. So as much as I would love to think that I'm waving, you know, my magic wand and saying, you should be D to C and then you should, you know, the Carter wand. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Right. Uh, At the end of the day, you know, we work super closely with brand leaders from across the organization because there's no one who knows their brands, their objectives, their challenges better than the brand leaders, right? To think that our team could be an expert in all of the brands and every, you know, kind of in and out of everything that's going on. It just isn't real. And so we constantly are partnering with teams, you know, and maybe it's to say we're partnering with meals and baking or partnering with our snacks team to say, you know, we really think there's some opportunity here. Let's find a couple of brands to really kind of push forward. You know, that's how we get involved. And we say, hey, like new brand, consumer is really ripe for these digital interactions. You know, uh, you know, the margin looks good. Like this seems to be really ripe for at least a D2C investigation. And so we will push things along from there. But, but mostly because of the world and, and kind of the explosion of e-commerce in our space, we have brands knocking on our door every day, really kind of saying, hey, we, we saw what this brand did. We really think this could be interesting. Or we see our competitors doing X amount of dollars in D2C. Like, why aren't we doing that? Like, what's holding us back? And yeah, for some, there's very clear reasons why it won't work. And we help kind of navigate those conversations. And we're very honest, right? Because we build a capability internally. And if people engage, great. If not, no problem. We're that coach on the sideline as they become the quarterback, enabling them to kind of understand and really see their D2C ambitions come to life without a ton of uh, real investment or, or kind of time investment from the team. I love that saying that you guys are the coach on the side and they're becoming the quarterback. Who came up with that? Because that's a good mentality of kind of, you know, making these individual product teams the hero of the story and kind of stepping off to the side and enabling all that to happen. But who came up with that terminology? That's good. Yeah, I don't know. I, I should be crediting someone, but you know, I can't exactly think of who did. I'm sure it was someone here at Mills. I'm not going to take credit for it, but it's, we use it all the time because the last thing these teams need is another cook in the kitchen. You know, again, pun works really well around here, right? There's so many people in, in these projects. And ultimately, that was, was slowing things down. For us, we've built really kind of what I believe is a magical tech stack um, that allows teams to really launch D2C sites without a ton of investment, as I mentioned, from a time perspective or a monetary perspective. And there's no need for us to get in the mix. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're, we're, there's only four of us, right? So to think that we can manage every aspect of every launch just isn't real. So we're really excited that we built the capability that can scale um, kind of with the organization. Yeah. When thinking about how to keep these teams, you know, motivated, incentivized, and also not maybe bringing legacy ways of doing things into their structures, how do you go about that? Like, how do you keep them excited and kind of scrappy in the way that either you bought them or built them? Yeah, totally. And and it's really hard, right? Because at the end of the day, we are a gigantic manufacturer, right? And, and we build the world's biggest brands. And, and that's what we've done for over 100 years. And so the idea of being scrappy and finding new ways to kind of go to market or better serve our consumers is always a challenge. But at the end of the day, what, what we love to do is we like to look at some of the best and kind of most sought after digitally native brands and say, what are they doing, right? Like, how, how are they doing it, right? Like, what's their tickets to success. And are there some things that we can learn from them? For sure. There's some things that are just not possible to adopt 100%. But we started to look at those types of companies. And these aren't necessarily food and bev digitally native companies. Like 
just think of things like Allbirds. Think of things like, you know, your favorite digitally native brand, like Away or Glossy or whatever it might be, right? We don't need necessarily uh, to use our really, our gigantic tech stack for a small kind of challenger brand. Yeah, you know, when you get to our bigger brands, of course, like you, you do need some of those bigger kind of enterprise grade technologies. But at the end of the day, we can do a lot of damage with the agile marketing tech stack that we've built. And, and that's truly what allows us to be scrappy and to keep teams energized when we can come to the table and say, hey, you guys want to go D to C? Let's think of it as a test because we can actually launch this in 90 days for not a ton of investment. And their eyes really light up because, you know, from a more traditional sense, that's often taken a lot longer. And the idea that we're able to offer this uh, capability and this ability to go D to C in such a short amount of time really opens up, you know, opportunity. And that drives the excitement uh, to kind of go towards this new strategy. Yep. Yeah, it's such an interesting thought of like how to keep these teams motivated. Earlier, I was judging this SEO panel that Bic International runs, and apparently they run these competitions, I think it's twice a quarter. And hearing, I mean, how excited these teams were getting just to improve, you know, the SEO capabilities of just one single product and see who won. And there's leaderboards kind of opened my eyes, like what you can do to keep, you know, team members excited and innovative and wanting to participate in maybe a way that's outside of their traditional job title, which was really fun to see. Totally. And the other thing I'll mention too, on just like excitement is I think, you know, one thing that's driven a lot of people towards at least some D to C investigation or, or intrigue has been this idea of importance of first-party data, which is nothing new to anyone who's listening to this podcast, right? Um, but it's something that obviously as marketers and brand representatives, we're talking about constantly. How do we know our consumer better? How do we personalize every experience? How do we you know, do all of those things? And I think D2C has been a really interesting way to start to investigate that. You know, It's a great way to collect some data. It's a great way to provide personalized experiences to consumers. And I think a lot of people are looking at this as a very tangible way to make that happen. And, and we are, we're here for it. And, and we're happy to help any teams that are going down that road. Yeah. I mean, it's such a unique ability to have access to maybe your, you know, 5,000 true fans who are just waiting on, you know, totally product. I mean, what kind of surprises came up when you all of a sudden started having access to this first party data in a way that you hadn't before? Was there anything in the consumer data or anything that you saw that was actually quite surprising? Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned 5,000, right? And truly, you know, we have some programs that that's kind of the range of numbers, right? In the scheme of things, it seems like a really small group of people. But at the end of the day, you said it best, right? They're our most avid fanatics. And the idea that we can serve our most avid fans of our best brands in better ways because we know them better is a really exciting opportunity. Now, if you go back and you say, maybe there's only 5,000, we need to, to validate the fact that that's really important. Um, we haven't built infrastructure before to handle just 5,000 profiles, right? The surprise was we had to build a lot of that integration and build a lot of the infrastructure to handle the ingestion of that type of data. And our big thing is, is like, yeah, 5,000, sure, you can, say, you can say whatever you want about that number. It's not big, it's not small, whatever it might be. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, when we start launching these types of things every other week, and we know that the people that we are talking to and the people we're learning more about are some of our most avid fans, that's a really exciting thing for not only the brand, but for the broader organization that we can have that type of insight into consumers. It's something that's really new to us. And so um, I think that was the biggest surprise is just the fact that we did have to build some of that ingestion you know, infrastructure. And we're excited to have that online now. And, and it's no longer an issue for our brand teams, regardless of the number of, of data profiles and number of consumers you're looking to reach with uh, within D2C. Yeah. Are there any fun, maybe real world events that you've been kind of merging your true fans with to kind of give them a different experience? Because what I keep hearing is that, you know, people are pent up demand around getting in the real world, connecting with, you know, people like them, getting these experiences. How are you guys thinking about that? 
Totally. So, you know, maybe uh, when, when I look back at the last year and some of the most exciting, you know, launches that we've done via D to C, they haven't been the biggest, let's say. And I have to give such a, a kudos and a shout out to the brand leadership team and, and the idea, the idea leadership team and, and just really kind of people who came up with this. But Reese's did a really interesting uh, partnership with the artist cause, right? And if you look, there's still some boxes floating around. Um, they were in Walmart for a while and a couple of our other customers. Um, but we wanted to do a special edition cereal box that was all around this partnership. And, you know, the idea was to serve our brand fanatics. It wasn't to sell a bunch of cereal. It was the idea that, you know, we had X amount of boxes to unload. Um, and we thought it was a really interesting way to really kind of put a tangible product in, in our consumers' hands. And so that was one of our my favorite D2C drops, as we call it, to see because um, it was live for a few seconds. That was about it. Wow. Because there's so much demand around it. And I didn't think the answer to this would actually tie back to the real world comment that you had made. But if you actually think about it, we've been able and we were able to take all of that hype that had developed online, you know, it was leaked on Reddit, people were talking about different, you know, uh, different places around the internet. And, and to say that, hey, not only do you have this excitement, but we're actually going to put one on your front step, right? And we're going to now, you know, have one of these, you know, cherished collector boxes sitting on the shelves of thousands of consumers around the country. Like, that's a pretty incredible thing that we were able to do because of D2C. And one of the things I love about kind of some of these more marketing focused opportunities is, you don't have to just see it on your Instagram feed, right? You can actually engage with it and actually get a product in your hands in just a day or two. And that's thanks to this new capability. And in the past, we were only able to kind of limit that type of activation. I think um, it's exciting to see that we're actually able to do it uh, in a more tangible way now. Yeah. So since you've had quite a bit of experience going to see now, I want to hear maybe some of the war stories where you're like, oh, if I were to do it over again, maybe think about this first or, you know, approach it this way because, you know, this was a little failure or whatever you want to call it that, you know, we learn not to do it that way now. Yeah, totally. So I, I will, of course, as a true marketer, spin into something that's an opportunity and something exciting, but yep. um, I'll try and poke holes in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go for it. And this is in the trenches, right? And I hope people who are listening will appreciate this because it is very D2C focused. But um, as you can imagine, we have to oversee every part of this process, right? So it's not necessarily just the .com. It's not necessarily just the first party data. It's not just the transaction. Like we had to develop a whole like 3PL network to ship these things out, right? And for some of our early drops, you can imagine a lot of them are cereal boxes. We're General Mills. Like we, we own some of the most iconic cereal brands around. And so it's a lot of cereal boxes. And our three PLs had found, you know, what we thought was the best way to ship designer cereal boxes, right? So it was a brown box. We padded it appropriately. It was logistically sound. They looked like they did on, on you know, pallets as they went out the door. And then we had a team come in actually from Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And they wanted to do um, a myriad of kind of these, these boxes, a series of them. And I always like to send at least one um, to, you know, to our office so I can see what the packaging looks like, make sure everything looks good. And it showed up and it was this beautiful package with Cinemojis covering everything. And what I thought was really interesting was the fact that you can imagine how many brown boxes the logistics and delivery team see all day, every day, including, you know, probably families who are listening to, you know, the Amazon boxes sit there, you're used to seeing that. But then you drive up and you see this just huge Cinemoji sitting on your front step. And I think for me, it, it just highlighted that the need to think about every single touch point, right? So though we were shipping brown boxes off and things were getting there without, you know, being damaged or whatever, we never even thought really about the idea that we had this beautiful cereal box in the middle of this kind of gross brown, you know, cardboard corrugate thing, right? And so now we've always pushed brand teams to figure out like, what is that unpacking experience? What is that unboxing experience? It's worth probably spending a couple more dollars. 
to figure out like what that unboxing looks like. Because you know what, like not only are you going to have a really happy consumer at the other end, you know, everyone's going to talk about it. Everyone's going to see it. And, and the chances that, you know, you share that with others around you or, or online is much higher. So I'll say not necessarily a war story, but a huge learning we've had, you know, talking about kind of the full stack of uh, D2C capabilities we've had to build. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it does seem like there's such an interesting uh, way to create shareability by having something on the outside totally. of the package that then people actually want to share or, you know, see what it's all about or maybe where it came from. I mean, I always think that consumers would be more interested in how something is actually made or where it came from or whatever the story behind it. I mean, you see the TikTok videos where people are literally watching like how a cookie's made. Yeah. And if people like that, they probably would love to see how cereal's made. For sure. So much opportunity just on the outside of the box before they even open it. Totally. Yeah. And, and um, you know, that's just kind of an opportunity we identified. And now, again, we're pushing everyone to do it because you look back at the cardboard box, like, ah, that was that was very yesterday. So uh, <laughs> we're just constantly looking for different things. You know, as we get, again, we're a pretty young team. So as we get to know our 3PL vendors and partner with them in different ways and find our packaging teams here at General Mills, like, bring everyone together and do something that's really special. And now that we have that foundational capability in place, we can start to do that. And I think that's what I'm really excited for the year ahead is we've built the capability. Now it's on the brands to make it special. And that's what they do best. And um, I think it's going to be really exciting. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise, and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. So I want to hear a bit about what are maybe some of the new trends or technologies that you're watching. I mean, it seems like your team is perfectly positioned to be able to see everything that's coming down the pike and be like, hmm, maybe we should experiment with that one or that one's too soon. What are you all looking at right now that maybe will or won't pay off? You don't know, but you're at least exploring it. Yeah, totally. I, I think one of the biggest things we're looking at is, you know, I can say the, the standard business, you know, response that is we're looking for, you know, the shortest path to purchase with the least amount of friction would be my business response. Mm -hmm. I think for me, like when you when you think about your, you know, average internet use throughout the day, I always like to joke, like no one's like sitting in front of the TV at night, like cruising.coms, right? I'm just going to go to generalmills.com yeah. slash whatever. I'm going to go to shop.weedies.com or whatever that might be. Like, no, no one says that, right? Um, where we're sitting is truthfully, we're sitting hours and hours and hours on social platforms, mainly TikTok and Instagram, right? Especially for our, our, a lot of our target consumers. And so what we're trying to do is to say, do you really need a .com anymore? Like, do we, do we really need a .com or can we just use you know, the back end of, uh, you know, Shopify or whatever it might be to fuel a true TikTok storefront, right? And, and that's actually where you buy the stuff, right? Because at the end of the day, like, why would I make my consumer go to a different location if they're already there? So we're really excited. We were one of the first or we were the first food and bev brand to jump into TikTok storefronts, um, which we were really proud of. We did that with Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And it allowed consumers to go right from the, you know, beautifully shot organic content on TikTok. The algorithm just amplifies to new degrees. 
to actually purchasing some Cinnamon Toast Crunch gear in a matter of taps. And I think that's so important now. And so we're really doubling down on that. We're saying, why don't you just, just do it on TikTok? Why don't we just do it on Instagram? We have some incredible partners at each one of those platforms. And we're looking to say, you know, D2C isn't necessarily a .com. D2C is, you know, think of it as a capability we've built. And you can bring this to life whenever way you want. We're integrating commerce in every platform that consumers are spending time on. And, and more and more, it's on our phones and, you know, on our iPads sitting in front of the TV. And if we can create that experience, then we're in a really good spot. Yeah, that's really interesting because it brings me back to 2016 when I was working at Google and one of the senior engineers there, I mean, he was pretty high up. He said, you know, I think domains will be a thing of the past very soon and we won't actually really be focused on the best domain names and sending people directly there. He didn't know or have a reason exactly why, but he's like, I feel like that's just really like a historical process. And so now hearing you say that a DTC is not a .com, that perfectly summarizes where people are looking to shop. I think, you know, the innovation that space has always been reserved, I think, for like fashion and beauty, right? And I, I actually brought up, I think I compared ourselves to like, you know, the Kardashian skincare makeup or whatever, one of my status. And he's like, wait, did you just compare our business to, you know, this? And I was like, yeah, well, you know, these brands are always on the forefront. They're always doing new things. They always get the opportunity. I'm fighting every day for us to get our products just, you know, have the same shot and to be that innovative and be that forward thinking. We want to be the first and the best and the only. We don't want to be the first best only food. We want to kind of take on those opportunities and really kind of push into those new territories past the dot com, as um, you know, your old coworker said, to figure out what's new and next and how do we, you know, provide a better experience for our consumers at the end of the day. How were you guys designing experiences on TikTok? Because I've heard such mixed thoughts on whether TikTok works or not. And obviously you're saying, hey, it works really well if you do it right. Like how are you creating a fun experience on there that's actually connecting with the consumers in a way where they want to buy after? Well, I, I'll be honest, we were in the early innings, right? Um, both from a capabilities on, on all of our standings, right? So to say it's perfect is far from reality. We are testing aggressively, I would say, into new opportunities. And I'm really proud of the partnership that we've built with that team to say, you know, again, to what I mentioned in the last you know, answer, like, we want to be the first to test this. Like, we have the infrastructure, like, we're ready to go. Thanks to like, again, the D2C kind of world, because we have 3PL, we can ship products, we can, we do all of that already. So like, let's take a shot at it and it positions us to, to dive in really fast. Now, I will say that's all great. Um, we do lean on the brands though, because brands need to have a very specific TikTok strategy, right? Um, and I don't get into that because that's not my world. And, and I lean on their leadership teams and their agency partners and everyone who's involved in that to kind of say, what do we do on this platform? Like, what is our positioning? Is it paid? Is it organic? Is it a mix? Is it like, what's our messaging? And like, again, like I, I lean on the brand leaders who are the best at doing that, know their brands the best to define that. And then where we come into play is like, how do we kind of layer in commerce to whatever that strategy is and whatever's working? So we work hand in hand with a lot of our media agencies, both paid and organic to say, what's working? What's not? Like, what are opportunities for commerce? You know, we have access to these tools now what about A, B, and C? What do you think? And they might come back and say, you know, X, Y, and Z is actually better. We'll say, great, we can adapt to that. And so from a, a TikTok standpoint, back to your question, it's different for every brand, different based on your audience, different based on your content. And, and I think brands are learning now what stuff really gets traction on the platform. Uh, we're here to provide the best commerce experiences, whether it's in paid units or in organic content or in your profile, whatever it might be, um, we have the tools to make that happen. Yeah. What about keeping your audience? I mean, getting the one purchase is nice, but what happens? Like, are you trying to direct them somewhere else afterwards? Or are you just trying to get them to, you know, stay with you on TikTok where maybe you don't own as much, you know, data on them as you could on a first party type website? How do you think about that? 
Yeah. So if we dive into the specifics, like right now, a lot of the tactics we're using use TikTok as a jumping off point. And whether it's within platform or whether it drives to a different dot com, you know, we're starting there and driving them into a shopping experience. The great thing, as I mentioned earlier about D2C is, you know, once we transact, right, once we create that initial relationship with the consumer, we can now communicate with them post-purchase, which is great. So unlike Instagram and unlike kind of the old days of Facebook, where you're always looking for likes and follows and, and kind of views, we're kind of moving on from that, right? Like TikTok isn't inherently focused around that. It's focused around the Discover tab. And so if we can transact a purchase on TikTok through our Shopify setup, like we now have a great relationship with that consumer. And and that gets within kind of the other layers of D2C. We love looking at D2C as not just the transaction, which a lot of people just think about, but as kind of a one-on-one kind of direct-to-consumer engagement model. And so you can imagine, we have all the data, we know where they came from, we know what they bought, we know who they are. And so we can add incredible amounts of personalized value to everything. So if we want to keep them, right? If you buy a 30-day pack of a product of ours, you better believe on day 20 that we want to reach out and ask if you want to order again, right? Uh, if you don't choose to order again, maybe there's something that we did wrong, or maybe we could try a different thing, or maybe you didn't like the products, so we want to try a different flavor. Maybe a coupon would help you kind of get over the hump of, of ordering again. And I think all of those are a win. The fact that we can constantly kind of stay in touch in a direct-to-consumer way, regardless of they're coming from TikTok, regardless if you know they dropped in a .com from a different promotion, we can now do this thanks to the infrastructure. So it's not specifically on TikTok. As we move commerce more closely and, and independently into those social platforms, I think it'll be really interesting to see kind of what the longevity and kind of loyalty model look like. Um, but for now, we're in a really good spot because we're creating that one-on-one D2C type relationship um, with these consumers and, and driving personalized value for them um, in whatever way we think and, and what they think is best. What about things like NFTs? I mean, when you're talking about product drops, it seems like a perfect spot to be able to you know, use NFTs in that. Are you guys thinking about that yet too? Totally. So if, if you guys followed some of the most recent press releases, you know, Dunkaroos was one of the first brands to kind of dive into the NFT world over a year ago now. And um, you guys should look up the Gushers work that our Gushers team is putting out kind of in the metaverse world with some uh, oh. virtual footwear, which is really exciting, right? So yes, definitely Google that. That's fun. Uh, you'll see a picture pop up, hopefully, as you're, you're typing that in and, and the shoes look pretty cool. Uh, again, kudos to those teams who really kind of led the charge, right? You know, they're identifying that their audience wants this and, and, and really finding ways to activate. What we're super proud of is that, you know, um, we've built in the ability to actually do NFT sales through our D2C infrastructure. We're working with a couple of brands to launch. I can't really talk too much about it, but um, the idea in this new kind of Web3 world of accessibility, right, for consumers are focused to really get into the market. Again, we want to create the most friction-free path to purchase or engagement or loyalty, whatever it might be possible. And traditionally, because NFTs and the Web3 world are so new, it's not the best user experience. Creating a wallet and kind of us being your first in, it's really yeah. difficult. And so partner with a few providers to allow our brands to deploy NFTs and mint NFTs just as easy as they would be deploying a product or you know a sweatshirt with the brand name on it. And so now we're able to facilitate that just with the same amount of ease we are on any other Shopify or, or kind of D2C focused site. And, and we're super excited to offer that to our brand teams. And um, we see a lot of interest in that in the future. Now, what they do with it, that's where the creative energy comes into play, right? The Gushers work and the, the Dunkaroos work I just mentioned. That's the brand teams, right? We're providing the tools to make that possible and to make selling NFTs on behalf of the brand possible. Now, the examples I mentioned are in a direct correlation to that, but we're working on a couple of interesting things incoming that will allow us to do that. And we have the infrastructure to make it possible now. Yeah, I'm glad I'm asking about this. I mean, are you helping think about the strategy when you're when they're doing these NFT drops? Or is that really just, you know, on that team where you're like, I don't even know 
you know, what their KPIs are around launching shoes. Totally. That, that is all on that team. You know, with okay. D2C, we don't see a ton of D2C overlap with that type of work. And, and they're obviously working with their partnerships team and their agency teams to make that real. Just like we were pushing D2C a year ago, we're constantly trying to think of, you know, that's awesome. How do we scale that? How do we use some of the D2C tools and infrastructure to bring that to the next level? How do we get to more people? How do we get more people in on the next whatever Dunkaroos wants to do next with their NFTs? Like, we're excited by that. And I think when we see digital products now being such a prevalent, you know, uh, artifact in today's society, I think, you know, D2C has a lot of opportunity there. Um, We're also exploring some really interesting things around uh, data that we can get. You know, when we have wallets actually purchase some of our products, we can see what else that wallet is doing and, and potentially see how we better serve that consumer, but just in a little bit of a different way. Hmm. What kind of things will it show you around like what the wallets are doing? I have always thought of it as like, that's really anonymous and it's pretty hard to tell what people are doing, you know, in that space. Yeah. So, you know, obviously you can go back and you can look and see the history of the wallet and see what um, wallets are purchasing and owning Mm -hmm. and things like that. As we look to kind of get away from the cookie world and we look to do, you know, kind of something different, we, we think, um, it's not our, our kind of forefront of kind of our Web3 strategy, but what we're really looking to do is, is figure out um, how do we add benefit first to the consumer? Are we running programs that actually serve the consumer better? After that, you know, we start to look at, again, just like we are with first-party data, we're looking at saying, what do we know about this consumer now? And how do we better kind of personalize the experience to really serve them in a better way? We're not quite sure what the opportunities are there. Obviously, we're not quite sure about a lot of things in Web3. Yeah. But we think it's an interesting space that we're constantly investigating and um, you know, have a lot of experiments running in. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that's a really interesting future opportunity, especially when people do start using wallets more often. There has to be a certain like penetration point, which I'm sure is still pretty small. Only the you know hyper users who already have bought maybe many NFTs or, and are already in that world. But I mean, it's interesting thinking about what you could eventually do and um, yeah, be able to help the consumers in a different way. 100%. So I want to hear, I love asking this question. What's, you know, a contrarian thought you have that maybe your team, your other three team members would disagree with you on when it comes to, you know, the world of D2C? Oh, that is, that is hard. Um, we've done some really interesting work with a couple of startups that are all around, um, I'm using a lot of acronyms here, but not NFTs, not non-fungible tokens, but NFC, near field communication device. So think about like, your Apple Pay, right? Or um, okay. you're going to do very similar things with uh, QR codes. Okay. We were partnering with a startup just a couple months ago where um, you were actually able to either scan a QR code or tap a, an NFC tag, which, you know, they cost about a penny and you can put them in a sticker, really, they're anywhere. But what it did was it launched really Apple Pay on your phone and you could actually transact with a single tap. Like, I, again, I know everyone talks about minimal clicks and minimal taps, et cetera. But at the end of the day, like you could scan and transact and have something on your way to your door in less than a second. And it used Apple Pay and it did some really interesting things. Uh, the company called Batch, great team over there. It was a ton of fun to work with them. But I was so excited by this opportunity. Again, this was months ago. You know, it's like, oh, think about what we can do with this. You know, the idea of us taking friction to basically zero and finding new ways to drive transaction, whether you're at a festival or getting a package in the mail, like I am all about it. And I think my team was so focused on everything else, building the infrastructure. They're working on the dot-coms. They're working on the media plans. They're working on logistics. And I'm over here uh, gallivanting around about, you know, this QR code that I think is really interesting. And I think, you know, the collective eye roll for my group was probably pretty strong. Uh, at the end of the day, like I still stay in touch with Batch. I still think they're a great company. They're doing some really great work. We're excited to try to find a, another way in for them. But maybe the fact that my team isn't fully on board with it is probably why maybe we ha- it's been a slower process than we might have uh, liked to see. 
Yeah. Oh, that's that's a really interesting answer. I mean, I could see a lot of functionality with that, especially, I mean, I'm the type of person where I'll get in the grocery store and if the line's long or if, you know, I have to get a bunch of spring waters and I don't want to carry it, I will literally just leave. Right. And if I could just, you know, scan it and all of a sudden it shows up my door step, I mean, within a day or two would be nice. I would probably opt for that just so I don't, I mean, I'm apparently very lazy, but I'm like, just so I don't have to go up to the cash register and check out. hundred <laughs> percent. Well, and, and you see scan and go taking hold in a lot of retailers around the country, right? You know, the mm-hmm. idea that you don't have to go through that is, is huge. And we were excited by the opportunity that it might've driven. And I think uh, the excitement from the rest of my team wasn't maybe as uh, sharp. Well, I'm glad I asked that because that uh, gives me a whole new, you know, rabbit hole to dive down and learn more about. So hundred percent. Okay. Last question. What are you most excited about within the next year? It can be, you know, personally in your own life. It can be what you're up to at uh, General Mills. You can take it wherever you want. Yeah, for sure. Um, we have been working super hard to get our infrastructure in place from a D2C e-com perspective here at Mills. And I think we are finally at a spot that we are excited by a bulletproof system that can be used in, in many different ways. And we're seeing just success across the board come from that. What I'm excited is the fact that we're able to wrap that up and really call this a capability and scale it across the organization while our team moves on to what's next, right? So I talked about some of the social commerce stuff. I talked about how do we bring this into away from the dot-com to new territories? What are places that General Mills can own in terms of creating the most personalized, best consumer experiences possible? And I'm really excited for our team to say, hey, the infrastructure is in place. Teams are running with it. Teams are seeing their own success. Again, we're the coach. The quarterback is just crushing on the field. We can now figure out what that next recruit is. Who are we bringing in next? To like, what's the new technology? What's the new team? How do we look at more creative opportunities around the organization? And that's what we're looking to do. So our new fiscal year starts here in a couple of weeks. And we're excited to use that as this awesome pivot point. We're launching a bunch of new D2C sites here in the next week or so. And we're going to be able to start looking at kind of what's new and next. And that's what I'm really excited about. So that's that from a professional standpoint. And I think um, you know, our team is growing. Uh, we're having a ton of fun and we can't wait to see what we build in the next 12 months. So cool. All right, let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Carter? Yes, we'll do it. All right. When was the last time you tried something new? Last time I tried something new. I just went to the Modern Retail D2C conference and got to try a whole bunch of new products. So I um, can't think of them by name, but we there's a bunch of really incredible founders there who all brought products, some of them uh, in different phases of development. It was a ton of fun to bring that back. So yeah, it was awesome, but it was, it was good. It was just fun to see these founders and what they've worked so hard to build. And yeah, it was great. So, um, and a myriad of things, everything from hand soap to jewelry to food to everything. So it was great. Awesome. If you could choose one book as mandatory reading for e-commerce leaders, which book would you choose? Oh man, that's a really good question. Somewhat embarrassingly, I'm a Scott Galloway fan. Why embarrassing? That's not embarrassing. I, well, some people are like, oh, I don't like the guy. I, oh, I, I like I've him. listened to him since the day from since day one, and I think he's a you know just a really great thought leader in the space. And I know he's not e-commerce specific. So, you know, he has the four, which is a great book, right? That came out. We we're really talking about, you know, the four major tech companies and what they have. And then um, he has Algebra of Happiness, which I know is more of a personal slant, but I thought it was really impactful for kind of the stuff he talks about and the stuff I take personally to life. So that's also good. I'm, na- I'm listing three. Um, and then his other book, Post-Corona, I think is super interesting and in talking about some of the shifts we've seen um, in in kind of the, the world. And I think that has impact across the entire space. But e-com was a, a huge focus of that book. I'm hoping I get the title right. I have like all of them sitting in hardcover on my desk, but I 
took the titles off of them or the, the covers off of them. Oh, yeah. Anyways, point being, Post-Corona is awesome. It's a really good book. But um, yeah, I would say that is something that I really enjoy. Oh, yeah. You got it right, Post-Corona. From Crisis to Opportunity. All right, sweet. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Oh, I'll have to check those out because I am a fan of him too. Next question. What do you think is true, but it might actually just be good marketing? Oh, that's such a good question. This one's really hard because I don't want to trash any of our work, even though I know we've had some stepping stones along the way. But I think D2C is commerce only, right? The idea that D2C means that it just means I'm buying something directly you know, from a manufacturer. I don't think it's true anymore. I think D2C is, is much broader than that. And I think like we're doing an interesting job trying to transition even our own company to think differently. But as I mentioned earlier, like in the podcast, like again, we're not selfish on where you want to purchase this. And again, we're lucky enough to have distribution at major retailers and in, in, in different places around the globe. But the idea that D2C is just to buy isn't right. D2C is this idea that we're able to, again, create that shortest path to purchase with the least amount of friction and create that incredible kind of one-on-one consumer interaction that allows us to drive personalization, allows us to drive that direct kind of consumer communication, allows us to, you know, uh, deliver better for whatever they need. And I think uh, that's the big shift, I believe, we're seeing. And, and, and I believe it's true. And I believe it's also good marketing. So hopefully that's a, uh, a sufficient answer to the question. That was great, Carter. I really had fun talking to you today. So thank you for joining the show. And until next time, where can people learn more about you and what you're up to at General Mills? Yeah, for sure. So uh, as most people, I love LinkedIn. And so you can catch me on, on LinkedIn. You can just type in Carter Jensen. I think it might be, there's one of three of us um, in the United States. So we're all friends on LinkedIn, just so you know. So if you find one, you find us all. That's great. Yeah, so so LinkedIn is the best. And obviously you can check out any of our brands, all the amazing work they're doing um, kind of on any of your favorite social platforms or on our .com. So uh, yeah, check out some of the new D2C stores launching here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we have a lot of uh, exciting work coming down the line. Awesome, thank you. Thank you. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.